Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Welcome to the house of the Lord today. Whether you're coming from somewhere out in the world to to the radio or to the internet or whether you're coming into my home in in McKinney, Texas, welcome to Gospel Saving Church. If this is your first time here, hello, I'm Pastor Ed, and I come to you from McKinney, Texas, as I said, one of God's true churches, Gospel Saving Church, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. If you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, please, I know that I need to be prayed for, and I need to pray for all you guys, and we need prayer. Wow, do we need prayer. Did you know that Moses in the Old Testament said that it's a sin not to pray for one another? Did you know that? Just just think of that. I need prayer. Please pray for me. I I certainly do. We all need prayer. Um, Bless God. We, We thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much, Lord God, for your grace and your mercy, Lord. We thank you so much, Lord, that you've given us another beautiful day. Whether it's, Lord, to be inside all day long, as Brother just said earlier, to enjoy the A.C., or whether it's to go outside and enjoy your beautiful creation outside, Lord God, you've, you've given all things, Lord God, in this world to be enjoyed. So, Lord, I pray that today we'd use those things for enjoyment, Lord, not for excess and for sin and for lustful ways, Lord, but I pray we'd use them just for joy and just to, to remember you and be thankful that you're here. And, Lord, none of this would exist without you. So, Lord, we just thank you for all of that. We, we ask you today, Lord God, to help our minds, help our physical, help us to put our physical minds in the back, Lord, and help our spiritual minds rise up, Lord God, and, and suppress that old flesh man and flesh woman and flesh child, and, and help us, Lord, to understand the things that you want from us. Help us, Lord, to apply what we talk about today, Lord, to our lives, Lord, and help us to do the things that you want us to do. The spiritual things in the flesh, Lord, that you want us to do. For we know that faith without works is dead, Lord. Let us not be people without real faith, doing real works, showing you real love. Not to be saved, Lord, but as an expression of our thankfulness that we are saved. Lord, we thank you, and we love you, and we praise you. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. So you guys can turn to Acts 4. We're just going to have a few verses today, 29 through 31. That's where we're going to be, but I'm not going to read them or teach them until I give you my thoughts from last week's message. Does mankind have free will? So last week we studied the very difficult topic of the free will of mankind and the sovereignty of God. And in case you didn't know, when people think about the free will of mankind, they usually think of it as, now people, now just regular people, usually non-religious, non-spiritual people, man in control of their own destiny. That's what people that are not saved usually consider free will to be. And when people usually consider sovereignty, God's sovereignty, usually these are really religious people. And then certain kinds of religious people consider God's sovereignty, there's, there's really no kind of middle ground here when people consider God's sovereignty the people that think about it they kind of go way overboard with it and they think that God's in control of everything including people's free will which is not really then free will at all it's God in control of everything a well-known pastor in the Dallas area who believes in God's complete sovereignty says this not a blade of grass moves in the wind without God's approval now That is true in an aspect of because God is here and Jesus, we're all held together in Christ. Nothing exists without that. That is true, absolutely. But the way he refers to it is not that way. It's because it's it's he's saying that God is in control of everything and not nothing happens in your lives and a lost person's life and nothing happens and nothing you can do is even of your own free will. It's all God's complete and utter sovereignty. Well, 
This topic is very confusing uh, with both the ideas, the way I just described them and the way mankind believes in them. They can't be true, you see. They can't be true because they contradict one another, right? There can't be both ways, right? God can't be in complete control of everything, including the free will of mankind. And people can't have any part then in their destiny and have any free will on their own, right? Because if God's in control, nothing else, no, nothing we could do. Well, you know, that, that, uh, that, that Muslim chopped the head off of that Christian. Well, that was God's will. You know, that God did that. Hey, that guy going down the going down the highway at ninety five miles an hour, he he rammed into a school bus and killed twenty five kids. Well, that was God's will. Now see that doesn't work. That doesn't work, and that does this, this contradiction. So, because this topic is very confusing, the God of the Bible uh, led me in my last sermon to discuss them using the Bible as my guide. And in doing this, we figured out that the Bible completely rejects God's being completely sovereign and shows us that He's only partially sovereign. The Bible actually scripture showed us that God is in control of, yes, all the things that happen for his kids. We know that for all things work together for the good of those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. And we know that our kind of where we are and the jobs we have and the locales we live and the time in which we live in, we know that God is sovereign in those things. Yet we do see though that God's, that people as a whole, whether lost or saved, do have free will as we looked at in the Bible. Both Adam and Eve and God's chosen Jewish people biblically were all given choice and they used their choice that God gave them to often reject him. And again, all biblical and all very, very simple, which the good news is then that people have free will, partially, of course, scripturally. But to me, like I said last week, I don't care where I live. I don't care what time I was born in. I care that I have free choice to either reject God or choose God, and I can use that free choice. So to me, the free will to accept, love, worship, and choose God is really the more important free will. It's the most important free will of all, right? I mean, who cares about the other, right? We don't. Nobody has a choice of which woman that they're born to, which womb that they're born to, which time that they're born in. Why do you care that you don't have free choice in that anyway? So anyway, this anyway just shows me that although God is in control in one aspect, he still gives us this awesome aspect of free will, which just shows me another aspect of how loving God really is. God really is super, super loving. But why? Think about this. He created everything that exists, including every person that has ever lived, and he could have made or created us any way that he wanted. Any way. He could have created us as robots. Yes, Lord, I shall do that for you, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord. Or he he didn't, though, did he? He didn't create us as robots. He created us as free-thinking people with individual and unique personalities to have choice that could choose to love him back and let him be a part of our lives or to not let him be a part of our lives. God is so good and he's wonderful and he's so powerful. People, listen to this. Think about this. God showed me this. People fight and struggle And strive to do what to one another? Suppress one another. I want to be the boss. Everybody wants to be the boss. What's that old saying at our jobs? There's too many chiefs, but not enough Indians. Why? Because everybody wants to be the boss. Everybody wants to be the Lord and to oppress and to suppress others. Everybody wants to rise up. Yet God, he's so wonderful, he gives us that choice. That although he is Lord, he doesn't force us. He doesn't force that upon us. He doesn't strive to do that 
with us. And considering why the Bible says that God created us, God even gets more wonderful. Look at Genesis 3, 8, and 9, and look at why God created us. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. God had put Adam and Eve in the garden. Yet he came there to walk in the garden. He came there to walk. I wonder why he was walking there. Uh, And Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord among the trees and in the garden. Then the Lord God called Adam and said, where are you? Why does somebody call out to you and want to know where you are? Because they want to be with you. Because they want to spend time with you. So why did he create us? That was right after we were created. We were created, we were created to, to have fellowship with him, to have relationship with him. And of course, if that's all right, if that's right first, like so the salvation, we're right with God first, then what did he create us for next? Service. Love and fellowship and relationship. And then that's supposed to, just like in marriage, you get married, right? You love your wife. You didn't do these things to so that she loved you. You loved her. You showed her you loved her. You got married. And then a lot of nice things come out of that. And then that's how the relationship is supposed to work with God. And considering we were made for this relationship, but yet he doesn't force it on us, just, just proves to me another aspect of how awesome and how loving God really is. All right. Anyway, uh, on to our new sermon, shall we? Uh, I, I could spend all day talking about how wonderful God is all day long, uh, but that's not the only reason that we came to church today, is it? We're here for our new sermon. Our title today, The Goodness of God Leads People to Repentance. The Goodness of God Leads People to Repentance. Look at Acts 4. 29 through 31. I know it's just a few verses, but there's some really awesome things that God's pulled out of here for us. 29, they continue in their prayer, and they say this in their prayer. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. By stretching, by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Two weeks ago, the disciples start this beautiful prayer unto God for his deliverance to them from the religious hand, right? The religious leaders wanted to kill them and persecute them and so they started this prayer. They open up their prayer with praise to God giving him glory and honor and declaring who he is. God, you are Lord. Lord, you are God. You created everything, heavens and earth, and everything that he's done. They go on in their prayer to mention a prophecy and speak of God's sovereignty in regards to the situation where the religious leaders uh, and Jesus Christ and how God was in control of that whole situation the whole time. Remember, oh Lord, you know, guys, hey, this is what God did, right? And, And remember verse 28, all those peoples and religious leaders had to, had to, they didn't have a choice. Here's God's sovereignty again. Do whatever God's hand and God's purpose determined before to be done. Think of that. That sovereignty, that God made that happen to bring salvation to humanity. That's so good. God is so good. But why would the disciples have prayed this last part? And and, and the part about God's sovereignty upon the whole situation with Jesus and their whole situation really the whole time. Why would they have prayed this last part? Probably for many reasons, but 
Just one that I got in my heart as I was preparing for this sermon. I believe that they prayed that not only to praise God for his awesome deliverance, but because they wanted to remind themselves in their prayers, they're praying that, hey, God's in control. God's in control. Have you ever prayed that way before when there's ever been a problem, right? Oh God, I know you are in control. The reason I believe this, there's even more, is because look at verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats, which means that if they're talking about threats, they're thinking about the danger that was involved with the threats. There's a little bit of fear here, right? Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness, Right? They're, they're wanting to God to help them ignore the threats and be bold instead, right? That we may speak your word. As a Christian, haven't you ever had something really earth-shaking happen, right? And God gets you through it, but you know that although God got you through it, there's still... It's kind of, there's, you know that you're not out of the woods yet, right? You know that there's still some things to come, possibly, right? Uh, just, just some examples. A couple from me, but one I kind of know universal. You lose your job, right? And just all of a sudden, you know, the job gets lost. It just happens. And, you know, you got, a couple, you got enough money for a couple months. You know, you, you know you're good, but, but you know also that if you don't get another job, the money's going to run out real fast, and you're going to be left not you know, able to pay your bills and either having to be evicted or moved out. So you know God's got you through it. Hey, God bless you for the amount of money that you've given me to last these couple months. Where I know, you know, I know you've got me for the next, next couple months, but Lord, Lord, what happens after that? What happens if I don't get a job? You know, it's kind of an earth-shaking thing. We've got to work, right? We've got to work and we've got to supply for our families and provide for our households. And so that can be one of those situations. Uh, years ago, we were in this house. God had just moved us to this house, and God gave us a little home daycare that we had. And we had a bunch of kids, and, and my wife was getting kids. She loves kids, and, and they were all being, she was training them up, and everything was going great, and the parents were loving it, and everything was going great, and the kids kept coming. And I, I, I was looking ahead going, oh, wow, Lord, if this keeps it up, one of my, one of my desires years ago was that God would do something to help me be financially secure, like independently wealthy so that I could go out every day and I wanted to kind of do what they did in India where they get like paid missionaries where they just go out and hey just walk the streets every day all day long and that's all I do for for the Lord just present the gospel every day forget about working a nine to five or whatever just hey let me go out into the world every day Lord and preach your gospel every day seven days or five six days a week I'll do it and so as we're moving up oh man Lord I see it coming while wow, she's in all these kids and we can oh man all this money coming in that's great And then all of a sudden, a pedophile moves in next door. Now, he he was registered with the state, but since we weren't yet, because we were still growing, we weren't an official business of a daycare, he could move in next door. Well, what do you think happened to all the kids shortly after that? Well, their parents is a small community, and so all the parents found out that, hey, you got a pedophile move next door, and pretty soon before we know it, all the kids were gone. And now Shauna was, my wife was out of work. She was just no more work, no more income. Oh Lord, here I go. This crash, crash. 
And, and as it goes, it's kind of like the whole bit with the losing your job a month goes by. Okay, Lord, we need, you know, need a job. Lord, we need a job. A couple months go by. Okay, Lord, what's going on? Lord, we, we need some money. Lord, debt's piling up. You know, we're robbing from Peter to pay Paul. Lord, how do we do this? And then the Lord finally provided, you know, provided a job. But we had an earth-shaking time come up in our lives. Where it was a dangerous time where although God got us through, you know, we knew that we were not out of the woods. Maybe another situation, your job tells you because you're, you know, spiritual and you love Jesus. So you walk around daily and, you know, you just, hey, just the love of the Lord shines from you and Jesus comes out of your mouth. But your job says, no, you can't do that. Kind of similar to here what these happen with these disciples. They're in the temple preaching Jesus and, and, they're, and, and they're like, hey, you can't do this anymore. And they say, hey, we can't. So I say, it's because this has happened to me. I, I can't. Hey, I express my love for Christ because that's who I am. It's kind of like that old Gatorade commercial, right? And the old Gatorade commercial, if you remember correctly, you uh, you drink the Gatorade and they said it's in you. And then they kind of show you on the field and they were sweating the red or the green or the yellow. You know, kind of like Jesus is in me. So, hey, he's he's who comes out. You know, I had a cable installer come out yesterday. And, you know, I just, you know, the, the Lord comes up. It's just kind of the way things work with me because he's in me. So, you know, just like the just like the disciples here and me, they've threatened me, but they don't fire me because today in America, you know, it's 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 kind of looked down upon, or kind of I could sue if it was being fired for religious reason, religious reason. But I still got you know year for years off and on, I had it hanging over my head because you know they told me to stop. Yet I, you know, again, it's it's he's who's within me. So of course, you know, are they trying to fire me behind my back? <gasps> Oh no, Lord, I, what, what are they going to do? I, I don't know, you know, what could happen? What could happen, Lord? And so, you know, because I, I can't stop them, right? But I, but then again, I, you know, I'm kind of just there, right? This actually almost happened to me years ago at my job. There was this manager and she did not like me at all. And every day I'd come in and I'd get into conversations about, you know, with other employees and start talking to them about the Lord and be great conversations and everything. And then all of a sudden I get pulled into the office. You know, Ed, you know, you can't be pushing your religion on other people because the people were cowards. And instead of just telling me, hey, Ed, you know, we don't want to talk to you about Jesus, they'd go behind my back and turn me in so that I'd get in trouble. Well, it came to a boiling point where one time in a manager's meeting, and I know I had a friend, who told me this after the fact, but she had rose up in a manager's meeting and she said, if that Ed talks to somebody about Jesus one more time, he's fired. But she didn't let me know that. That was behind my back. But I had a friend that was a manager who came to me after and told me. Anyway, these are earth-shaking times. My income and i got to provide for my family. And, and so what do I do? What have I done? What should you do? I... I came to the Lord. In that case, I presented it also before some brothers of the church. And I said, brothers, pray for me. I said, pray for me. I need to, I need, I need, you know, help. This, these people could, you know, fire me. And I, I don't want to stop preaching Jesus because, you know, that's why I'm there, you know. And, and so they did. But, but I, myself, after that, went alone with God and Christ. And I prayed to them uh, just like the disciples did here and prayed literally almost exact same prayer as they prayed here. And and this is what you should do also if you're a child of God and have lost your job, debt piling up, or there seems like there's no hope for one way in your life, or, or, or your job's persecuting you, or you have a terminally ill sick family member, or whatever earth-shaking problem you may be having right now, this is what God wants you to do as his child, to pray, God Almighty, you are amazing, and you are in control of my life. Because that's what the disciples did here. Hey God, you are in control. 
God Almighty. You are in control. Because if you are His, if you're a Christian, if you love Jesus Christ, if you belong to Him, you need to remind yourself of exactly the way the disciples reminded themselves here about God's sovereignty over their lives. And if you're God's, then that's you too. And Lord, I know that they can do anything to me. and I know they can't do anything to me unless you allow them to. And nothing can take me down and destroy me because you are on my side. And when I'm praying to God here, be mindful that although I'm praying to God with all this, my brain is hearing it too. And like the disciples here, God, you are in control, Lord God. You've got this. You've got this. We know that Jesus Christ told Pilate in John 19, 11, that you would have no authority over me unless God had given it to you. So we know that whoever's over us or whoever's persecuting us, God's allowing them to do that because if you're God's child, then all things work together for good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, right? So we know, God, we know, Lord, in your prayer, God, whatever's going on in my life, I know you've got it, just Lord, Help me to trust in you alone and make me bold to serve you through it all, Lord God. Because just because these things are happening, I don't want to stop serving you with these things happening. I want to continue to serve you. Because if you're a child of God, nobody has any authority, as I said before. We just need to trust in him because he's got a good plan for what's going on in your life, no matter what it is, that you may not know. It may, be, it may seem bad to you. Oh, no, Lord, this is bad. But if it's something bad that you might think is terrible, that's how you are seeing it, not the way God sees it. God sees the bigger picture. Years ago, I was at my job and talking to a lady and, about something, and, and one of the days was going by, and, and I, I remember driving, and I remember... The Lord put this kind of vision on my heart, and I, because I was kind of concerned about the way my path and where I was going, and you know all the things that were happening. The Lord showed me, you know, like Google Maps. You know, on Google Maps, you can go on your computer and you could see the whole map of the whole area that you're in. Right? You may be on Waddle Street, or you may live on Custer, or you may live in Fort Worth, or you may live in in Allen, Texas, or wherever, and you may be able to see just that one street you live on, but God Almighty, he sees the whole big map of everything. He knows the rights, the lefts, the straights, the downs, the ups. He knows everything. He knows every park, every lake, every stream, every road, every turn, every stop sign. And he sees the bigger picture. And so whatever's going on in your life, if you're a child of God, you need to know that no matter whatever earth-shaking thing is going on, that God's got your back. He's got it. He's okay. He's not going to allow anything to happen to you that's, that's outside of his control if you belong to God. But he will test you, you see, the Bible says. He will test you. Psalm, one, or Psalm 11, 5, the Lord tests the righteous. God will allow things to come into your lives to test you. Just read the book of Judges if you think I'm wrong. Just read the book of Judges. Two or three times God says in the book of Judges, I left things this way in the land of Israel because they weren't how you wanted them. I didn't get rid of everybody there because I wanted to see if you'd go in, if you'd still follow me, even though there's adversity there because the Lord tests the righteous. God's got you. But whatever you do, don't let any seeming terrible situation overcome you or overcome you by fear as the disciples were doing here. 
They weren't being overcome by fear. They were overcoming fear with good, with, with love, with righteousness. God, you've got this. God, we know that you're in control of our lives. We know you, you had that situation with Jesus, and we know you've got our situation too, because God, you are in control of what we're going through. So their prayer. We know that you have our lives. We know that you had Christ's lives, and we trust in you with everything. Help us to totally trust in you and God, and help us to do what you want us to do. And look at verse 30. Look at what they say, verse 30. Now, moving on. They don't stay there as you in your prayer for help for God or to strengthen you. You're not going to stay there. You may stay there for a few minutes just until you're, you're, you feel confident, but then you're going to move on too, like they do here. Look at verse 30. Keep, move on, help us keep going, help us be bold by stretching out your hand and to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Basically, they ask God next to do mighty miracles, or you could say, keep or continue to do mighty works to heal, as they had already healed the lame man at the gate beautiful, along with asking God to do signs and wonders through the name of Jesus Christ. Why would they be desiring this in their prayer? Why would they be desiring that God would continue to keep doing these mighty works? Well, contextually, we've already seen two gatherings because of the mighty signs, right? The Holy Spirit filling the second floor apartment on the day of Pentecost and the healing of the lazy man that brought the church within just a few months after Christ's death from 120 to 8,120 as there was about 3,000 saved one time and about 5,000 saved at another time. And the disciples saw this pattern of how how God was doing things and adding people to the church, and they wanted him to continue to do these things because they wanted more people to come to Christ and be saved, right? The disciples had a desire to see the whole world be converted, and they realized and knew that they were in a time when a great outpouring of God's Holy Spirit called a great dispensation of grace. And up until then, they had seen this system or this method really work. Hey, Lord, let's keep it going. Let's keep these things going. Continue to do these mighty works because, Lord, we know that you're adding people to the church. Sadly, little do they know, for they could not see in the future like we can because we can kind of go ahead in the Bible chapters, right? We can go, we can keep going on. But, But this great dispensation of grace by the method of signs, wonders, and healings and miracles is about to stop. The last one that they're going to actually see is in a short time from here, Acts 5, 12 through 16. After Acts 5, there's not another explosion of new believers added to the church until after Saul is converted to Paul in Acts chapter 9, where we read in Acts 9, 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Spirit, they were multiplied. We don't read another of another you know, gathering in, a great gathering in because of great signs and wonders and miracles. Again, only nine we read because of this, you know, this wonder that they were walking in the fear of the Lord and walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit where they multiplied. Um, See, God does not work the very same way using the same methods every single time in every single thing that you do. We can't put God in a box like that. God is not, uh, he's not always into methodologies, and, and he'll change. So Christians, and my point here basically is beware of methodology in ministry, right? It can be dangerous. God may want to do a work in a certain way with you, and if you're stuck on one method and one way that he's used to doing with you, but he wants to change the way he wants to do things with you, but you won't, 
because that's a problem in ministry, that is a big problem in ministry, then you're going to quench His Holy Spirit. He, and that's not a good day, you see, because God wants to change, but you don't want to change. God won't use you for the new work, but, but you may try to do the new work in the old method, right? And what, what usually happens, well, it fails, and you'll, and you'll get stale in your faith, and, and it'll be a work of the flesh and not a work of the Spirit. Really, that's what happens when you try to use one method on every single thing that God wants you to do, like the disciples wanted to do here. Methods can be a work of the flesh and, and not of God's Holy Spirit, and methods sometimes don't allow God to move the way He wants to. And, and who's really the boss? If you're a Christian and you love Jesus Christ, then you're not your own boss. Bible says that God is the boss. Christ is the boss. So we need to just beware that we don't get stuck on one method of doing things one way. You know, we need to be led. That's a, that's a big saying. We just need to be led. Just be led is how God wants us to do things. And if God wants you to change the way you do something for him, well, by golly, you better change. And well, no, Lord, it works this way. No, that's not how what the Bible, God of the Bible says. He said you better change. So anyway, these zealous children of God ask him to keep the supernatural works going so that the mass amounts of people can keep getting saved. And he knew their hearts as far as their passion for the lost to be saved goes, and not because they're trying to practice dead methodology. And look what God does to show them that he approved of their prayer. Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, so they finished their prayer finally. And when they had prayed... The place where they were assembled together was shaken. God's power came to the place. Imagine, shook the whole place. If we were in the house, probably shake the foundation off, shake the roof off the house, but they probably weren't in the house. The place where they were was shaken by God's power, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And what did that mean? You don't have to speak the word with boldness to your congregation. They were speaking the word with boldness to the lost, to the world. Hey, God helped them overcome their fear, and they went back into the world with those people that still just threatened them, still there, and those people that still threatened them just right there, they went back out and they were like, boom, we're going to preach still. We don't care. Hey, they threatened us. God, you're in control. We're going to go on. Here, you just can't help but see in here God's great heart for the lost. I mean, you just can't help but see in God's great heart here for the lost, right? Uh, In his great heart here for the lost in in Scripture, 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Mark 16, 15, Go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then the biggest one, the most... The most powerful one to me in in a parable, Jesus is speaking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. A great gathering and feast that those who become born again and endure to the end, abiding in Christ, will sit down and have with Jesus after this world is no more, right? Jesus is speaking about the chosen Jewish Jewish nation here who were the first to be invited in this parable, but they rejected him. I'm just giving you an overview of the parable. So Jesus wanting people, just people, to come to this great feast, representing those whom are saved, says this of the Gentiles, or the non-Jewish peoples, whom he didn't originally or initially elect. Matthew 22, 8 and 9. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Why were they not worthy? They were the elect. They were the Jews. Notice they weren't worthy, even though they were. 
They elect that. Oh, that's right, because they use their choice. That's right. They had that choice, that darn trial. I'm not going to get off on that anyway. Anyway, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited, who were elected, were not worthy. Therefore, listen to God's heart here. Go into the highways and as many as you find. Who's that? All. As many as you find. Invite to the wedding. Invite to the wedding. Isn't that great? The great heart of the Lord to bring anyone and everyone into a spiritual relationship and eternity with himself. Anyone that is willing, of course, that is. Anyone that is willing. Did you know that God still wants us to be bold, just like the disciples were here, and be open and preach Jesus Christ? Absolutely, because you know why? God's word is always relevant. God's word will be relevant to the end of time. God's word never expires. Isn't that awesome? His word never expires. How strongly does God want us to be unashamed and be open and preach Jesus Christ to others? I mean, we don't always have to break down and have, you know, theological discussions that last two hours, but how how much does God want us to be open about who we are in Christ and to shine like lights for Christ? And how, how, how strong does he want that? Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men... Him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Well, I'd say from that scripture there, I'd say that God really wants us to be open about who we are in Christ. Uh, Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5. I love the Gospel of Matthew. It's one of my favorites, by the way. Matthew 5, 14 and 16, on the same subject to his followers. This is an example of how we're to live our lives. What did he say? You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. Hey, I'm not going to save you. Don't hide it. I saved you to shine. I saved you to shine for me. To let people know who I am. And No, right? Nor do they give a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. Why? So it's, it's risen up, right? And it gives light to all who are in the house. But why? What's the main reason? What, what's the why? There's always a why in Scripture. Look to verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So we're supposed to shine like that as what? Pointing to Him. Pointing to Jesus. Pointing to God. God is always about bringing the lost to a saving knowledge of himself. God is so good. In fact, Jesus, Mark, Mark 10, 18, said that God was the only one that's good. For no one's good but God. God is so good. Now, what's the importance of Matthew five sixteen of helping people to see your works and hear your words so that God gets the glory? In other words, that they may see how good God is. What's the point to that? What's the point to showing people how good God is? Well, the title of our sermon today, Romans 2.4, the goodness of God leads people to repentance. That's the why. That's the why God wants you to shine. Hey, shine because you love me and because I love you. But hey, show people who I am. But no, not not so that, oh, but, oh well, yeah, that's great. Oh, that, that's a good God. No, 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 no. That the goodness of God leads men to repentance. That's why. So that his goodness shown, shown by you to the lost may help them come to him. 
that's what he's all about. He's always all about bringing people to him. And as we shine like Christ before men, being open about who we are in Christ and preaching to others about Christ, and they see these good works for God, and he gets the glory, and they see how true good, how good God truly is, repentance can come. That's the only way it's going to happen. That's what Scripture says. Scripture says that God send us out in the world. Because he didn't have to send anybody out in the world, right? He could have just elected or not elected anybody and everybody, and then people be saved. And if they got saved, well, great, that was God's will. If they didn't, and then we wouldn't have to do anything. But right, but what did he go out and show people who I am? Show people how good I am. Show people how good I am. That they may come to repentance. Now, so now, since it's the goodness of God that leads people unto repentance, how do we go about our street witnessing and speaking to others at our jobs about God? And how do we go about speaking to our families that they may see how good God is? How do we go about doing that? Do we, do we maybe wait, do we call a bunch of names, slamming their face in their types of sin and the rebellion that they're falling in and commanding them that they stop sinning? You better stop sinning, you sinner, you prostitute, you. Do we do that? Is that how we show the love of God to humanity? Because I, I've actually heard of groups doing this. This is, this is a big thing nowadays. This is a, a, a big thing. So is, this is, how, is this how we do it? No, that's not what the Bible says at all. But why? Number one, it shows no goodness of God, nor does it bring God any glory. But number two, it doesn't follow the scriptures of how Christians are supposed to be. Look at 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Let all that you do be done with love. Wow. And Galatians 5, 22, 23 is a fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness. Wow, goodness is God, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And how do you show people the love of God and how good God is bringing him glory in a gentle and kind way by calling them names to condemn them? How does that, how do you do that? Is there any possible way you can slam their face in their sin? You wretched, evil, horrid person. You, you're going to hell. You're, you're condemned, blank, 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 and condemning them in their sin. Is that possible? Well, I have a really good Christian friend that said he looked and he couldn't find it in the New Testament. He, he couldn't find how that was possible. How, how do you see it now, now? Now, God did in the Old Testament send out his prophets to his backslidden children and his, and his main Pharisaical leaders, right? If, you know, if, I, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but his main, his main religious leaders, and he did. Well, he was pretty harsh with them, but they were, after all, they knew God, and they were his chosen people, and yet they still chose to walk away. So, you know, you would treat your own child caught doing something wrong more than you, you know, worse than you treat somebody that's not your kid that's maybe over at your house and playing with your friend, right, playing with your kid. You wouldn't treat them the same way as you treat your own kid. So, you know, of course, God has a way that he treats his kids versus those that are not, those kind of lost out there. That's why you, you, you can't use what God did in the Old Testament to rebuke his chosen Jewish people to preach to the pagan, heathen, lost, or unsaved peoples of our day to day, and not under the New Testament because we're not under the Old Testament or the Old Covenant anymore. So now here, then we have, a, then we have kind of like a, you know, like a paradox. Well, what do we do then? How do we 
share Christ then? Or how do we share God with the lost of the world, the pagan, the heathen, and the unsaved peoples of our day? If we don't call them a bunch of names and nasty names, slam in their faces and their types of sin that they're falling in, commanding that they stop sinning, how do we give God glory by our works and in our light, showing His goodness to others in our preaching and witnessing to them on the streets, jobs and families, so that they come to repentance and they come to know Him? How do we do that? Do we go to the complete opposite route them and just tell them then all about God's love? Is that what we do? Just, just, just swing the whole other way? Oh, God loves you so much. Didn't you know how much God loves you? And then we just leave it at that. And then we just don't speak on sin at all maybe, right? We're just the love of God. Is that the way the Bible says to do it? No, not quite. The Bible tells us, that, that we're not supposed to go about it that way either, just to tell them about God's love, because, you see, that's a partial message of the Scriptures. That's not a full message of the Bible, right? That, that's not good to just go the opposite way. Uh, the Bible says to tell us about Christ in, in a way where you tell them about God's love, but not nasty names, and you don't condemn them to turn them away from their sins. It's right in the middle of those two ways. It's right down the middle really, of those two ways. And, it, and it's the way you go about telling others about Christ and their sin also, as I referred to in those couple verses that I mentioned, right? Christians are not to tell the unsaved. Christians are, excuse me, to tell the unsaved the hard truths of God's word, yes, because it is the whole counsel of God's word. It's the whole counsel, right? Telling others of his wrath against the practice of sin and even to call out those sins that God hates because this is biblical. Like Paul, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Do you not know? Now, he's not doing anything. He's just presenting the facts, presenting the truth. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So you can say that in a way where you just say, hey, this is the truth, guys. This is what the Bible says in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. The other kind of the spectrum, the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousies, opera, arrest, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, no name-calling. Just laying down the truths of how God looks at the willful practices of sin and, and stating the truths of what happens as a result of living those ways, right? Well, living those ways, you're not going to have a relationship with God. And living those ways, you're unfortunately, you're going to go to hell. And, and of course, we, we see already in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 and 1 Corinthians 16, 14, bringing those things to someone who's unsaved should be done in the spirit of Christian love. In the spirit of of Christian gentleness and kindness, not condemnation, not you're this, that, the other thing, you this, that, blank, 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 that, you this, that, you need to cut out your sin. Because you know what? Even if somebody stops sinning, that doesn't save them. The Bible says that the most righteous person on earth without Christ is still going to hell. So even if you condemn somebody in their sin and they make, you make them stop sinning, that doesn't make them right with God anyway, right? <laughs> and if you preach to the unsaved the things of sin along with God's love in a proper, Christian, loving, gentle, kind way, this won't make them shut you down and turn you off. And you might actually reach them for Christ because you love them like God does, right? And they might have a chance to come to repentance and be born again because you're being a good steward 
of the gospel. You're not just out there, you know, just calling people a bunch of names. Now, please understand, I'm not talking about sugarcoating or watering down your message at all. Please don't think that. I'm just talking about bringing the truths of God's word his, uh, with love along with addressing people's sinful conditions, but just doing it in a loving, kind and gentle way, the way Christ and the apostles did it in the New Testament. That's all I'm talking about here. Just remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 10, the most famous scripture, one of them in the whole Bible. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become sounding brass or a Chain, a clanging symbol. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mystery and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. You see, so love is just not the, a word that we use that sounds good. He says here, he gives us a characteristic of the word, of the real word love, of the biblical good, godly word of love. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy. Love doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked, it, it's not provoked things, uh, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So to my two Christians out there, listen to me. I, I think you got the picture of what I'm saying, hopefully. Hopefully. Christians preach to the unsaved like you love them. And listen, I have kind of a harsh message though here to my beloveds out there that are listening to me. It's biblical, okay? If you can't preach to them in the loving ways I've spoken of here today, like you love them, because you really love them like God does, if you can't do that, you need to examine your own heart before the Lord because biblically what I see is you've fallen into sin and away from God yourself. Biblically. Well, Pastor Ed, how could you, how could you say that? Well, I'm just, I'm just repeating God's word. Before you get mad at me, 1 John 4, 7-8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And, and what we read there, love is not just anything. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love thinks no evil. That, that's the kind of love we're talking about. Uh, let us love one another, for God is love. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. That means if you're not loving, you either A, never known Him, or B, you're kind of backsliding. And he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I know that's harsh. I know that's hard to hear, but the lost, God loves the lost, and God wants to save the lost, and God wants to show his goodness, for it's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. Not harsh, brutal words spoken to people to shove their faces in their stuff that they're in. The goodness of God leads men to repentance. Now, if I have any out there that are listening to me that are not born again, or would consider themselves backslidden, or, or making sin a lifestyle of, or willful practice, I want to say this to you, really just repeating some of the things because they're really super important. Whether you have never known Christ, whether you're backslidden, or, or you're making a willful practice of sinfulness in your life right now, you need to know that God hates that sin. God hates that sin. And if you live in or willfully practice any sin as a way of life, period, the end, any of them, any sin, period, the end, Bible says 
you don't have a relationship with Christ. And by what Paul said, and when you die, you're not going to go to heaven. That's what Paul, I'm not saying that Paul just did. God loves you, and, he, and he's trying to save you. And, and sins like Galatians 5, 19-21, you know, not everybody understands all these. I'm going to bring a little understanding here. Uh, he says, no one's going to heaven if they commit an adultery. Well, that's if you're married and you're having sex outside of marriage okay, with another person. Fornication. That's if you're not married and you're just going around and sleeping with everybody. They're not going to go to heaven if you're practicing those sins. Uh, uncleanness. Now, this is kind of a, a vague word. Uncleanness, what does that mean? I went and got dirty in the mud. No, uncleanness. If you're practicing uncleanness, which the word means to be physically impure with your motives, impurity and lustfulness in the love of money. So if you love your money and you're lustful for the money, and you're living kind of like the rich man. Remember the rich man in Scripture? He's, oh, it's harder for a rich man to get to heaven than, you know. Well, that's, if, if that's you, okay, there's, there's no, no heaven bound. Lewdness. If you're practicing lewdness, which would be unbridled lust, just just shamelessness, just hey, I am, you know, just what, <laughs> living a physical, sexual life any way you want. Idolatry, which we know is the worship of money, or the worship of other gods, or the worship of your spouse, or the worship of your car, or the worship of your job. If that's you, that's that's a that's a sin. You're not going to go to heaven. Sorcery. Well, that's the mystic arts. Hatred. Well, we all know what it means to hate. But even Jesus said, even if you hate. In your heart, your brother, that's sin. That's like you murdered somebody. So I, I don't really hate, which all hatred means, by the way, is just to strongly dislike. So if you're caught in hatred right now, that's, that's a sin that's not going to let you go to heaven. A willful practice of the sin now, right? Contentions. This would be strife, bitter disagreements, uh, constant conflict with others. Uh, talk about uh, that way to witness with people where you're calling them names and that's 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 right there. That's right. That's contentions. That's bitter disagreements. That's constant conflict with others. There you go. That's the practice of sin that, that Paul says that you practice this way of life shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Jealousies. Well, I, I want what he's got. Oh, I want lust of what others have. Outbursts of wrath. Just daily exploding and living that way willfully. Having selfish ambitions. Always thinking of yourself. Being self-absorbed. Hey, it's all about me. You're your own God, right? Dissensions. That'd be divisions or bringing divisions. Heresies right speaking and preaching and believing false heretical doctrines from the bible this is a, a condemnable sin envy murderers drunkens revelries well we all know what those mean being an alcoholic you, you're not going to go to heaven if you're an alcoholic revelries getting crazy at drinking parties when you're being a drunk right and the like and what she says which i tell you beforehand just as i told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of god Wow. Those who, you, who, anyone that's listened to me, who, if you practice those things, you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And by this, I'm talking about if these are ways of life, if these are willful ways of life. Hey, Island, hey, God loves me anyway, which, you know, you're right. But just because God loves you doesn't mean that you're saved. Unfortunately, for God to love the world, Right? But that doesn't mean that just because he loves the world that everybody in the world is going to heaven. Right? See, the Bible says that your sin and a willful practice of it separates you from God. But he doesn't want that. He loves you so much. He died for you on the cross. He gave up his life to show the greatest sacrifice of all for you. 
He laid down his life because the Bible says that you're separated from God, born that way. Yet Christ came and laid down his life in the greatest act of love sacrifice ever. The true what really love means. The ultimate agape meaning of love, which is, to lay, which is an action love. To show that you love someone, not just tell someone you love them. And he did this all for you because he doesn't want your sin to separate you from him anymore. Paul writes of this great love for the broken and unsaved peoples in Romans 5, 6 through 8. For when we, which be you if you consider yourself this now today, for we, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That'd be anybody who's lost in their sin. Christ has died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He truly desires that you come to him in repentance. That means not that you stop sinning, because even if you stop sinning without Christ, you're still going to hell. But repentance means that you have a change of heart. Wow, Lord, I didn't know that my sin separated you. Wow, God, I didn't know because I, I practiced adultery or because I was my, you know, I, I, idolatry where I was my own God or I, I, I worshiped the things of the world. I didn't know that. I thought I could love you. No, that's not what the Bible says. So if you have a change of heart towards God, God, I'm so sorry. I, I, I don't need, I, I, wow, but now I know, but you know what? You're right, I'm wrong. But then that's, that's not all. He doesn't just want you to admit that you're wrong. He wants you then turn your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and give Jesus Christ the place in your life where he becomes your master, not just a good belief that you may have. Oh, I believe in the sun. Oh, wow, those trees are so pretty. Oh, yeah, God, he's on his throne. Yeah, that's great. And then you go live for the world. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus has to be the Lord of your life, that you have to make a decision to follow Christ, to stop living with yourself as your own Lord. God desires no one to go to hell forever, but all to come to Him, all to turn to Him, all to surrender to Him, away from being the Lord over their own lives. And on to Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to His disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Turn himself to Christ. Deny self. Take up cross and follow after me. If you see your life as one of the willful practice of sinful ways, or you're being your own Lord, your own master, will you turn to Christ today? He's waiting for you. He loves you so much. I told you, he's waiting for you. Will you cry out to him with all your hearts now and invite him to take the lead, to take the wheel, to take the reins of your heart and of your life and make him the Lord and master? And again, not just another belief that you may have. Please, God longs to come to you or God longs you to come to him and have this kind of relationship with you. Will you come today? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your heart for the lost. God, thank you so much for your love for all humanity, Lord God. Not just your love for the righteous, those that have been righteous in you, become righteous in you, but Lord, your love for those that are without Christ. 
those that have turned back even, like the prodigal son did, Lord, dead in their sins again, Lord, your love for them also. For Lord, in the story of the prodigal son, I remember, Lord, you just brought it to my mind, as the, the son is lost and dead in his sins, as your profession to him later on in that, in that account, Lord, as he's there, the father was out looking for him. Wow. You're looking, Lord, for those that are not right. You're looking for their return to you. Or you're looking for them coming to you first of all. You're looking for their response, Lord, for them to hear you what you say and, Lord, make a decision. Use their choice, Lord, to come to you. I pray, Lord God, if there's anybody that's listened to me wherever, Lord, in the whole world, God, I pray that they would turn to you right now and fall on their knees and their faces and surrender their lives to Christ that you may save them. Thank you so much, Lord God. And I pray for my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ out there, Lord God. I pray that they would show people the goodness of God by your love and your kindness and your gentleness, Lord. Not, not holding back, Lord, on, on what the scriptures say as far as sin goes and not holding back on, on who you are and your character goes, oh, because that could be offensive to people. No, no, no. But Lord, I, I pray that they would evangelize and share Christ and be open about who they are in Christ in a way that shows people your goodness. For it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. I thank you, Lord. We thank you. We love you. We praise you. And we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.